You're listening to Canasync. Canasync. This is Canasync, where we make sense out of the application chaos. Brought to you by Cognitive Harmony Technologies. Hi everyone, welcome to Canasync, where we make sense out of the application chaos. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, small business owners, and social equity applicants entering the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Melody Molinero, the CSO of Cognitive Harmony Technologies, where we help you get through the application process. And today, I'm going to be speaking with Max Thompson, the co-founder and COO of Blue Violet's Microdispensary. He and his wife, Lauren Chang, are applicants in Hoboken, New Jersey, and they are on the cusp of securing their license and opening their doors. And what is interesting about their story is Max is actually a regulatory attorney, so his perspective on the process is unique, and he's got a lot of great advice, including the three things you should definitely not try to do yourself. Max Thompson, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you here. I know that you have a lot of experience getting through this application process in New Jersey, not just um, as an applicant, but because you're also a regulatory attorney, um, you have a unique perspective. What do you think, um, what do you think, like, do you think being, obviously being a regulatory attorney helped you? Yes, tremendously, right? I mean, in my, my practice, in my day job, I am dealing with regulations and dealing with people who want to get licenses um, with startups, you know, starting a business. And so having that background is tremendously helpful. It's it's allowing us to avoid thousands of dollars in legal fees, um, which is great. But also, you know, it just kind of shines a light on how difficult it can be to enter this industry. Because if you don't have that background, you have to figure out perhaps another way to do it. Yeah, which is, you know, kind of at odds with the entire culture around cannabis, right? Is this culture of inclusion. It's a, it's really a community. Um, And now that it's legal, it's almost, it's kind of strange that now that cannabis is legal, there's actually, well, there's a lot of pushback from um, people who love cannabis and love and have been consumers and even people who have been selling it a lot on their own up until this point are kind of like going, why would I get into it legally when it costs how, you know, $200,000 just to put together an application. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Let's, let's get to know you a little bit so everyone can kind of see where you came from. And I'm interested to know, um, just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved in cannabis. Yeah, sure. So, uh, start way back, right. I, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, so I'm a Long Island boy. I was there, you know, my whole adolescence up until I turned 18, went to college. Uh, and, you know, I had a social group. And for a long time, I was the one that kind of like didn't do the things. Like I didn't party all that much. I didn't drink and I didn't consume cannabis um, as my friends did. But eventually, you know, just when it becomes normalized, sometimes you get curious, especially as a young teen. Uh, so that's when I tried cannabis was late high school, you know, long after my friends and my social circle had kind of already been testing the waters a bit. And, um, you know, at the time it was kind of just for me, almost, uh, just a party thing. You know, I didn't really think too much of it. Went to college, uh, in upstate New York in Binghamton, went to SUNY Binghamton 
And it wasn't until then, especially as I started to get more focused on my studies and like just what I wanted for my future, that I started to actually see the other benefits of cannabis. Like, right, it's not just this thing you could have at parties to make, you know, a party more fun with friends, but it's also something that's therapeutic. You can use it uh, to de-stress. You can use it just to relax. And it has so many different, um, you know, kind of, it's so adaptable. There's so many ways you can use cannabis. And so as I started to really focus on my future and um, incorporate cannabis more into my life, I, you know, kind of felt like more like a holistic person. So I decided to go to law school um, after college and worked really hard to, you know, get into a good school and did okay there. That was an interesting time, especially since, you know, I, I was a cannabis consumer and it's kind of at odds with the whole, you know. The I, law? I, right, exactly. <laughs> does not Does not blur the lines, right? But at the same time, like, how could you not recognize the injustice of our cannabis laws you know, that right. have been going on for so long. So that, that puts lawyers in an odd position, right? Yeah. When you were, so, so let's, let's go back a little bit. So yeah. when you, you went through your undergrad, what'd you, what'd you study for undergrad? So I went to undergrad for engineering, which okay. was because I'm terrible at math. Uh, <laughs> I transitioned out of that and switched to, uh, it was a, a unique major specifically for law school but it was mostly politics, uh, political science, and philosophy. So before you went into law school, you already knew you wanted to work in cannabis? No. Okay. I did not, actually. I, I was really just more of a, a consumer, um, you know, a passionate consumer, but a consumer. And really my interest was mostly in the financial sector because mm-hmm. I was in college during the financial crisis, right? Right after 08, I was in college from 2008 to 2012. And so that was kind of the big thing yeah. going on in the world, and it was having a big impact a lot of people, including my own family. And so that was where my focus was. And when I went to law school, that's where I wanted to focus. And it's, it's where my career is today. Uh, so in law school, I actually uh, got into financial services practice and started doing regulatory work in that field. Uh, but, you know, all the while still being a passionate supporter of cannabis, I've been a, a member of Normal for over a decade. Oh, wow. You know, one of the things I am passionate about is advocating. And so that's what pushed me to go to law school. Um, and it's a big reason that I think we've gotten so far in the application process today is because I like to advocate and this time I'm advocating for ourselves. So it's that much more reason to do it. Absolutely. And so you're saying yeah. we, and we haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, <laughs> we is you and Lauren, your wife. So you went up and through yes, law school. When, when did you meet your lovely wife? So Lauren and I actually met in college. Um, when I got to college, we met at Binghamton. And, uh, you know, we fell hard for each other very quickly. And we've been together ever since. So we've been through a lot of life together. And so, and she is a nurse. That's right. Yeah, she's a registered nurse. Um, And so she's been practicing for uh, over 10 years now as a nurse in the hospital setting. She was uh, in the ER for a little bit in critical care. Um, Cardiac care was her specialty. She did uh, a little bit of home nursing, some school nursing, which she really loved. And now after the pandemic, you know, I, I think we've both kind of taken the pandemic as a chance to reflect on, you know, what it is we both want out of our lives individually and together. And that's kind of part of where this idea even came from, because we decided to do this during COVID. Uh, and now we talked a little bit the other day about how she was not quite on board with the whole cannabis thing, which I think right. a lot of people can relate to. Um, it's funny for me that I'm working in cannabis because I was the captain of the dare team in junior high. And I don't know if you're too young to know what the dare team is, but, uh, basically like dare to keep kids off drugs, 
You know, I think when I found out my husband was smoking pot when I met him, I broke up with him for a while, you know, and now here I am working. And so I, I think that there's been a lot of work to normalize and to educate and for, to help people understand, even myself, like, oh, okay, um, not only is this this plant not dangerous, um, it is yeah. actually incredibly beneficial. But tell me a little bit about that journey for you guys and how you yeah, got through no, it. Yeah, no, it's a great point. When we met, I was already starting to see the more therapeutic benefits of cannabis and she was staunchly against it, mostly because of just, uh, uh, you know, a negative connotation, negative association from um, her past and some bad experiences in her childhood. And so, so, so that was um, definitely a sticking point in our relationship. And, you know, over time in college, meeting more people, meeting all types of people and cannabis, in that time was also becoming more normalized, right? We were only a couple years away from uh, Colorado and Washington actually legalizing the plant. And so I think she started to meet more people that were just normal folks, just like me, but also consumed cannabis. And I think that started to normalize it, you know, not just for her, but for a lot of people. And so it became a little bit, you know, less of a hostile issue. And then over time, I remember as she started working, um, she had some patients that were administered marinol, right? The FDA approved uh, basically cannabis isolate. And also mm -hmm. just, you know, started to see the benefits I was getting from cannabis as, as our workload was picking up. And, you know, it's a great way to just kind of de-stress at the end of one week. And it was, I think our senior year of college where she decided, you know what, I'm gonna get this shot. Just, you know, tippy toe, dip your toes in the water, just see what happens. And I think she quickly saw like what everyone was kind of talking about, right? Like the adaptability of cannabis, how it can be a totally normal thing and a totally, you know, holistic life. Um, and ever since, I think her mindset has really changed. And she's a great example of who has kind of had that stigma and can kind of see why people, you know, change their minds because there is real benefit there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the entire country is going through this process right now as yeah. it becomes more normalized. Um, to really understanding the benefits. So, okay, so you guys met and now she's on board with uh, cannabis as a consumer. How did you guys, the two of you go from that to yeah, we're sure. opening a business? So now, right, we're uh, kind of getting into adulthood. She was working, I finished law school, I started working and naturally as two young, uh, two young people, a young couple with a little bit of money in their pockets, we want to travel a bit. And so we just start to travel. Um, and at the time, more and more states were starting to legalize cannabis. And so as part of some of these trips, we'd go and visit the dispensaries if we were traveling somewhere, you know, that we could um, get cannabis legally. Mostly just because we want to experience it, right? One, we want to try some cannabis, but also just to see what these dispensaries looked mm -hmm. like and see what the industry was looking like. And we did that more and more and more. I think we visited like dozens, dozens of dispensaries across multiple states over the last, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, just part of our regular travel. And wow. the more we did it, the more we kind of just had conversations about, wow, you know what, maybe this could be better. And so in uh, 2020, when New Jersey had its referendum and it looked like it was going to pass, we you know, had a lot of money saved up to potentially buy a home, but COVID really put all those plans on hold. And so we thought, you know, look, if there's ever a time to try and do a business, and we've thought about doing different businesses before, uh, maybe this is it, we have the cash, we see the opportunity. We're really passionate about this. We've been talking about it, even just because you know, we're interested. Maybe we should give it a shot. And so we did that, and one, just one mm -hmm. small step at a time. 
uh, have kind of got this process. It's, it's been an interesting journey so far. And what was the first step for you? Because now yeah. we're getting into kind of the hard part. And you were you are uh, a regulatory lawyer. And yeah, as that, sure. you, that gives you quite a leg up. But even for you, it, it did pose some, some challenges. Yeah. So let's go to the beginning. Uh, you were discussing it. You were planning it. You were thinking of other business opportunities. Yeah. You settle on cannabis. Obviously, it's going to be a $100 billion uh, market by 2030. It's a great opportunity for um, you know, creating generational wealth for your family if you can get a license. I think most people listening to this podcast understand the huge financial gain that can come from it and are also very passionate um, yeah, consumers. absolutely. What um, came next for you? It was obviously it's, it's a daunting task that you're looking up, right? Like, and, and while I've definitely helped businesses start and grow from a legal perspective, it's very different to start our own business. And while we each have members in our family that have done it in the past, you know, this is a very different industry. So the first thing I wanted to do was to go around and just speak with um, professionals who could give us an insight, especially about cost. Because I knew we had our state that was basically going to be our budget. Yeah. And I wanted to understand, like, what are the biggest expenses and what are the ways that we can try and reduce them? And that was, you know, mostly build out security, um, the real estate, right, if you're going to lease or buy something. And so we got connected to a few folks who were just nice enough, willing to talk with us, give us some of their time, and just do a survey and see if this is even feasible. What kind of... What kind of yeah, yeah, what kind of like, folks did you talk to, and what industries? If you, uh, can you give names or, you know, what no, was that so strategy for like, you? For example, for build out, right? I knew that doing a build out would be a high cost, especially because of all the security components. And so yes. we reached out to a couple um, mm -hmm. like specialty contractors in the industry who might not even be in Jersey, but just you know if they're elsewhere in the country that deal with dispensaries, so they might have some around you know what specific security protocols costs or certain build out needs that I you know we would just have no idea about um, and, and that was just a Google search you know cannabis contractor cannabis dispensary contractor and emailing yeah. a couple of them to see who would you know give us their time um, same thing for security I spoke to ADT um, spoke to a couple of providers and once we got a, a general idea right of like what those costs could be we realized there, there was probably a way forward for us. You know, we could do it. We just needed to be really, really, really mindful of our book. And, and it would take a lot of luck. And we knew that, right? right? And that's why it was all one step at a time because we just knew, like, none, none of this is guaranteed. We billions of dollars, not even close. Um, so we have to really just be careful. Because that's usually what it... Yeah, that's usually what it takes, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I find that interesting that the first thing you did was yeah. go and look for budget. What is it going to cost to open this? And so you you two are planning on self-funding the entire yeah, yeah, yeah. project? Yeah, the, the entire I, the, dispensary. Yes, that's right. I mean, oh, the hope wow. is, you know, we have to be really careful about what our costs are up front. But once we open our doors, we're confident we're all earn revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's even some things we could potentially yeah. you know, hold off on for later. Like if we want to, I, 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 we've talked a lot about giving our employees like a really awesome break room, right? Maybe we do that six months after we're open because we'll have more fun to give them the things we want to give them, right? While we build out the rest. What kind of 
what kind of budget are you no. looking at? You say you don't have millions yeah, of sure. dollars, and and um, I'm sure that most people listening to it don't. Yeah. So if someone else were looking to self fund, you know, this information that you have could be really really yeah, sure. helpful to them. What were your final like budget? So our, our budget for, was just our savings, and, and our savings we had about two thousand dollars in cash. We were, like started everything right. That's can you do that? Can you say that again? Because as soon as you said it, it, it yeah, all sure. stopped. We, and you sure, yeah. <laughs> say that again. Our budget is just our savings. And our savings at the time, we had $200,000 in cash. That's what we had. That's our whole savings. So that wasn't just like what we're going to put to the store. That was like if something happens in our life and we need money, that was also that money. Um, and now, right. so that was 18 months yeah. ago. The, the most expenses come from dealing with just fees for professionals, application fees, um, and then the other big expense, and this will, this, well, I guess I'll continue more about the journey because we did, we did have a big expense right up front, but that was a deliberate decision. Um, okay. Well, let's, well, let's get there. But I find this very interesting because as an entrepreneur myself, um, you know, opening a retail location with $200,000 is something that I have sure. done, <laughs> but I also know that it takes a lot of burn and, and, um, to have runway. And so I find that, I find that actually yeah. Very positive that you are self-funding with yeah. that amount of money yeah. and incredible, really, to be able to open a store for that, you know. Um, so you had construction costs. What about your – so what yeah. about your location? So uh, first of all, finding a location was – we knew it was going to be, like, the hardest part because of just who we're competing against, the limited availability, the luck it would take because of all the legal factors – um, and we actually lucked out. I mean, I, I tell Lauren all the time, like someone is doing something, helping us somewhere. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> like because we looked for months, and Hoboken, which is where we wound yeah. up. Um, at first, we didn't even look at Hoboken because we just thought we'd be priced out. Hmm. It's it's you know it's, it's down, yeah, uh, but very very pricey, and it was only after months of looking pretty much everywhere else in North Jersey. And just like reaching out to folks when we saw a vacancy that looked um, appealing, we just got lucky. We, we found this uh, location and the owners really like us. We really like them. They're longtime Hobokenites. They've owned the property. It's been family for like over a hundred years. And um, they're really supportive of small business. And that was huge for us. Because our store is it's micro. So. I think that it seems like that's the, really the, the, the story in cannabis. If you're going to, I mean, in any business, really, especially small business, you, you have to find the right fit for you. You know, you can go out there and pay 40. I mean, I don't know how much you're paying, but I know it can be between $45 a square foot up to $90 a square foot in New York City. But if you find somebody um, like, like you did, you, the right fit, you might be able to get something a lot, you know, a lot under, a lot under what's, yeah. you know, you would, you would think, um, and secure that and how important that personal connection is to find people and to just find real people and yeah. be real people, you know, <laughs> like you and Lauren there and saying, Hey, this is what we want to do, um, is different than just, you know, running around and finding a real estate agent and, um, doing business that way too. So there's always that personal touch that I think can be. We actually, really you know, we tried using a real estate agent at first um, without really, you know, it was kind of like, is this going to help us or not? Do they even want to talk to us? And uh, we wound up connecting with 
real estate agent who knew a lot of sellers. And it really felt like they worked more for the seller than for us, you know? And so they were connecting yeah. us to properties that were ridiculously expensive. And this was back in like July, June of last year, well before anyone really knew, mm. you know, what was going to happen. And it took maybe seeing five or six properties with them for us to just look at each other and be like, yeah, I think we can do this ourselves. Yeah. And that's what we did. So we started doing the search ourselves um, and we were successful with it. That's great. And that's great advice too for people because I know, you know, you can get really, you can get a lot of sticker shock when you start to, when you become an entrepreneur and you start yeah. to realize how many, how much things cost. But there's also the, you yeah. know, the DIY route, it's really important. I think there's certain things that it's really important to not do yourself. And we're going to talk about that later, but there's also other things where you can save yeah. a lot of money um, by really just going out and making the right connections for yourself um, and leveraging who you are as a person and you know, a real person that's right there. Hey, this is me. This is my wife. Here's our business. This is what we want to do. Um, and making that deep personal connection. Uh, not that all real estate agents are, sure. you know, not worth it. I, I'm not saying that at all, but there are certain things that you, that you, as yep. an entrepreneur, you do have to do yourself, and especially if you're on a budget, you do have to wear many, many hats. And it sounds like you guys are on a budget and you're doing it very <laughs> smart. And I think that's inspiring for sure, because a lot of people that are getting into this business right now, there's, there's these, these different sort of tiers. There's the hardcore cannabis consumer that loves it and is passionate about it might, might be working in the industry, might not be working in the industry. Um, and usually they they aren't the, they aren't coming with 2 million dollars in their bank account and then you you have people that want to get into the industry just for the money cuz they know that it's um, going to be big money and they usually right. do have have um, the big bank account and so then there's these the whole business is being built around kind of these two and I don't think they're opposing forces I think that they can work together um, and finding the right way to sort of meld the two together and make sure that the community remains center of the industry is I think the challenge that's at hand right now. And that's something that we at CHT are really passionate about. It's one of the reasons why we're lowering the barrier to entry. And it's people like you that are doing it, um, you know, it's the bootstrapping uh, entrepreneur small business person that, that we love to Thank see you. and support. And it's exciting to watch. And um, I'm hoping that you're going to be inspiring a lot of people through what you're doing. So let's go, let's move on. Um, you did, let's talk a little bit about your application process and yep. your marketing. You invested some money in branding. And I think this was really smart and did you have your branding um package with you when you went and looked for for your yes that was the face because i bet that i'm saying i bet that yeah. really really helped because i've seen your marketing package and your branding package and i wanted if i had space <laughs> i would i would have you there it was just really beautifully done. So talk to us a little yeah, bit about, no, thank you for about that. that. Yeah, so we, we knew kind of getting into it, once we got the, the, the idea of costs settled, there was kind of some big rocks that we needed to take care of, right? We knew we would need a business plan, which is all just writing, putting our ideas on paper. And we, we knew we would need to find a location. And the location was probably going to be the hard part. And so 
just thinking ahead and like what those conversations would look like and talking to a town, even after we might've found a location, I just, I said to Lauren, like, we need something tangible. You know, we need something that people can see and feel. And that way it's not this crazy thing that everyone's talking about. Every headlines about cannabis in New Jersey and this mad green rush. We need to like kind of take control of the conversation and give something that people can see and really appreciate. And we talked a little about what that could be. You know, we thought about um, branding and getting our branding done. And of course that required us having an idea, right? So we were talking about our idea and that's what the business plan is. So we had a loose kind of understanding that we wanted to focus on cannabis terpenes, which are really important to us. We think they're really important to the consumer's mm-hmm. experience. And once we had nailed that down, we kind of started thinking, well, what is that? You know, how does that turn into branding? And you know, what does that really mean? It's a lot of floral elements, a lot of botanicals. So we were thinking about flowers. In New Jersey, the state flower is the blue violet. And so that's where we got our names, blue violets. So we're trying to draw on that, that floral element and when we got to that point, it's okay, we have something here. And we actually made some branding ourselves, which is, I don't know if I ever shared that with you, Melody. It looks terrible, but it actually, is not, it's not so bad, but it, I didn't I'll see it. Share it at some point. <laughs> it's, um, it's not so bad. It's kind of, it's scripty. It's similar to what the final product wound up being, but we knew we needed something professional. And so we decided, you know, we, we talked about it, made a decision. We're going to take some of the savings we have and go and get some professional branding done. And that way, we'll have that, it'll look really clean. We can share that with potential landlords, real estate brokers, um, any local politicians that need to see it. And it was a night and day difference. I mean, it took us like maybe eight weeks with a branding team to figure it out. And we love them, uh, Nomad out in Colorado, they're fantastic. And once we had that deliverable, and we started can you, sending can it you out, repeat that the responses you, uh... we were getting, which one? Where did I Let's get repeat that really quick. Who it was? So, so who was it? Yeah, who oh, was yeah. it that um, you worked with for your branding? Yeah, we worked with a company called Nomad uh, out in Colorado. You can find them at trustnomad.co. They're great, really good guys out there, um, and they've been helping us. You know, not just on branding, but even just because they're so familiar with the industry, talking about cannabis. But um, you know, they, they were great in listening to us. Lauren had some really, really good, clear ideas about what she wanted. And they would, they would take that feedback and then give us something to look at and like, you know, tweak it from there. You know, they pushed us in certain ways based on their knowledge and experience. And, you know, they listened to us as well. And it was just a really great process. And when we got that deliverable, the branding done, you know, we, we had our, our branding deck, which is, you know, all about the colors we use and the font. And we took that and compared it, you know, paired it with our business plan um, and started kind of like sending that around. And the result was just night and day difference. Before, when we'd send an email out to you know a broker or an agent with no nothing but other than text and an email, right? We'd get ignored. But once we started sending this mm-hmm. around, we'd get responses like almost every time because people saw it and they were really interested. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it really is important for people to hear that and understand that messaging and that visual element. Uh, is so important as well as just, you know, working with professionals that can take your idea and translate it for you into something that's tangible and how, how that probably helped you secure your property, how that's probably helped you get to the point where you are now. Um, and so it it was a good investment. Do you mind if I ask how much, uh, you had to invest in that eight week process, it wound up being about 10,000. 
for that branding deck. Yeah, I mean that's really not bad for was, what you what you. It was got. great, and these guys work with bigger companies, but they just have a passion for you know the industry and people like us trying to get in the same way you all do, right? Same way Cognitive does, and so they were willing to yeah. you know give us a fair price. We thought and very. Popular. And you guys can everyone can check that out. Um, do you have some of that? You have you oh, can yeah. see your branding at. Blue Violets Dispensary. That's right. Check us out um, on Instagram at Blue Violets Dispensary and our website at blueviolets.co. Yeah, we're not done. We're just exactly. sticking that in there in the middle so that you guys can go check it out because we're talking about it and people are like, I want to see their work. <laughs> um, but absolutely, the branding is on point. Um, okay, so let's talk about where you are now in Hoboken. Um, you applied, you finished your application. We didn't talk too much about what that process was like. I know that you are a regulatory attorney. You wrote a lot of the, of your own documents, something that most people can't do. Um, maybe give us a little quick rundown on what that was like for you as an attorney to go through it. Um, what you did yourself. And then let's talk about where you guys are at after you applied. The process again, was just a huge project to write all these standard operating procedures because there's so many of them. Um, and once the RC gave out its notice of application requests, right, it, it, they laid out what they wanted without much guidance. Um, so for me, it was about finding resources where I could. Um, and a lot of that was online. Not much from Jersey. States like Massachusetts make a lot of their records public. Uh, so that was very helpful. There's various things you can find just by doing Google searches. But it was really just about like collecting really good examples and resources where I could to help me write these for ourselves and for our own business. Um, and basically, I would just take time mm-hmm. pretty much every weekend. Uh, you know, I think Lauren uh, forgot I was even here sometime. <laughs> it's, you know, between work <laughs> and during the week and doing the stuff on the weekends. Um, you know, just plugging away writing. And then, I, you know, it's like, I'd be in this room for a few hours writing something. I'd come out and show it to her and be like, does this make sense? Cause I, you know, I need that, right? Like ultimately these procedures are going to be yeah. the things that our employees have to follow in order for all of us to be compliant. So they need to make sense. Right. And so she'd read it and she'd tell me, I don't understand what you're saying here. This doesn't make sense to me. Can we say this differently? And that's how we did the process. So I'd write it all up. She'd review it, see if it makes sense from right. just like a, a non-legal perspective. Right. And that took, months, months of doing that on weekends, um, just tweaking and going back and forth and tweaking. And once we had that all done, uh, we were able to, well, we also have to get all these done. Um, so we, we negotiated the lease and we did that ourselves as yeah. well, um, which took maybe a month and a half or so. So we did that simultaneously. And then along with a few other documents, like Hoboken had its own application document, which was a few pages. We took all of that and submitted it to uh, the city of Hoboken. And I think that was back in February of 2022. So a few months back. And uh, well, it's just, it's, it's become an interesting situation in Hoboken. Unfortunately, it's political. And not because of us necessarily, but because of another dispensary that is um, just located in an area that a lot of people are upset about. And so it's just made the whole issue very political which has made the process even more difficult for us. You did apply, right? You did apply through the portal and your application was... No, no. What? So we, we are not doing a conditional application. A lot of applicants... Oh. Yeah, no, a lot of applicants did the conditional license and we were prepared to do so. Yes. Back in September. Okay. 
um, when everyone, well, at least there was a, a potential timeline where they were going to open up the applications in September. And because we had found our location in Hoboken at that time too, we decided, well, you know what? The state's delayed. We have our location, or at least it looks like it. We're going to sign this eventually. Let's just work on the remainder of the paperwork for the annual license application. And so we skipped conditional. And so now everything's done. We have everything we need for the annual license application, except for Hoboken's letter of support, um, which we thought we were going to get a few months ago when we got our endorsement from the Hoboken Cannabis Review Board. We did get that. We have that. It's written, right? But because of the political situation in Hoboken, there's been a lot of confusion about what it is we actually need. And so now we need more approvals that we're still waiting for. <laughs> and it's a lot of hurry up and wait. And uh, can, uh, yes. But you guys are ready at this point. Yes. You're just waiting. Ready <laughs> and waiting. Yes. No, we're, we're we're very much ready. We're very much ready. I mean, it's been, so I'll, I mean, I'll say this, like we did a lot, we, when everything became very political for Hoboken back in February, we took it on ourselves to start really engaging um, with the community because of, you know, we had, we were ready to go and, you know, we found our place and from everything we could tell people were really in support of us. It was just this now kind of vocal minority that was um, really raising a lot of issues. And so we started reaching out to the community. We Yeah, what happened? Let's, let's talk about that. Can you talk about that? I see a little smile on your face. <laughs> I can talk a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. So um, there is a, a dispensary uptown in Hoboken that is going into uh, the bottom of a condominium mm -hmm. building where there are other condominium buildings. And it's, you know, a lot of residential... Um, units, Hoboken is a very small and dense city, and so there's residential units everywhere. Um, the original cannabis ordinance that Hoboken had passed was uh, pretty progressive, which is on brand for Hoboken. And so uh, that dispensary, the one uptown, as well as us, when people in that area uptown found out about that dispensary coming into that building, they became very upset. They felt like they weren't aware of what was happening. They felt like they weren't told. They were worried about, you know, it was a lot of the same, you know, stigma-driven stereotypes about cannabis and dispensaries and there's going to be more crime. Someone said there'd be bullets flying through the windows. Uh, you know, really outrageous yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> and so uh, ever since, it's, it's caused, you know, a lot of uh, consternation with people in Hoboken. And some of it is just focused on that dispensary. Some of it's focused on cannabis and Hoboken in general. Um, unfortunately, you know, as a result of all that, the, the city proposed some changes to their cannabis ordinance. And while those changes were various, one of them would prohibit us from continuing to open mm. where our store is. And so we've had to kind of go out and do that community outreach to you know, fight against all this uh, negativity and try and you know, redirect the conversation from the overwhelming majority of people in Hoboken who actually support cannabis. So uh, we went out to the store, we, we tabled in front of the store uh, for a couple weekends and, and met a lot of people and it went fantastic. And you could see some pictures of that um, on our Instagram. You know, people were really, really excited to meet us. In front of the store, in front of whose business. store? 
in front of where you guys. And, oh, okay. Absolutely. So in front of where you're going to be, you went out and said, "Hey, um, people walking mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. right? Was it? Is it if they have foot traffic? We're coming. We're here. Yeah. We're going to be here." Um, we need your support. Did you have them signing something? Yes. Was there, um, like, what could you do to make sure that the, that the, what could you do to make sure that the Hoboken sit, the city officials knew, know that, that it is the overwhelming majority that are yeah. in, um, support. Yeah. So we needed to really just get voices, um, to be heard, right? And so, because what was happening was the, the ordinance was being changed, that's a legislative process. And so we were encouraging ah. people to go to the meetings for the council. Yeah. And they'd go. And there, I mean, those meetings, not surprisingly, became also very political. Uh, Lauren made comments at them, um, obviously in support of us, and many people did make comments in support of us. Many people made comments opposed to Canvas. And um, all the while, right, we had already submitted our application. Uh, we were scheduled to appear at the cannabis board and it got pushed to April. And so we did actually get into that meeting. We got our endorsement um, the whole time. Like the issue was never really settled because there was this question, like what are, are these applicants now grandfathered uh, from these ordinance changes or not? The city has said repeatedly that we are. Local officials have said repeatedly that we are. We've been told that both privately and it's been said publicly many times. So at this point, you know, as far as we know, things are just going to continue on from here. But, you know, there will continue to be this just political atmosphere around it until I think probably we're open and it's a little more normalized. I mean, Lauren and I kind of joke. We think a lot of the people who are opposed to cannabis in Hoboken will eventually yeah. probably become customers <laughs> of ours. Who are the They're going to be your best customers. You know? <laughs> eventually. Um, wow. That's been a long it's been a long process for you. About how long have you been uh, at this? Uh, so we've been dealing with this since, I guess, February. Yeah. Wow. And then, um, so we just talked a little bit about, you know, the stigma. How did your parents feel about you going, how do your parents feel about you going, uh, into cannabis and, and, and your friends and colleagues and how do you speak to them? And, uh, just, I think it would be great for our listeners to know how to do that. Um, in mixed company where you're not quite sure how people feel about it. The way that we went about it might be different than how others go about it. For us, we actually didn't tell anyone uh, for a while. And it wasn't necessarily because of the stigma. You know, my parents are aware I consume and her family is aware too. But they're also aware that we're respected professionals in our fields and know that cannabis is normalized. And so they're not the people that would kind of hold those things against us. The reason we didn't tell anyone for a while was because of, you know, how daunting of a task it is to open a <laughs> yes. business in this industry when you don't have financial mm-hmm. backing and support. You know, so I, you know, I felt uncomfortable telling people, especially in those early days when we were just asking questions and like, it wasn't until we, I don't, we didn't, we hadn't signed our lease yet, but we had, we had been negotiating for the location. It wasn't until then mm. that we told people. Um, and for the most part, Lots of support. I think people, I think there was definitely some, um, maybe some skepticism, I think, because a lot of people had heard, like, I thought it was millions of dollars to do this. You know, where are you guys getting millions of dollars Mm -hmm. or whatever, right? And um, I think people were just curious as well. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, for the most part, a lot of support. I think I've been also really surprised by not just the amount of support um, since I have uh, since I joined CHT and became a co-founder of the company. Um, very different from what I was doing before. Although I, th- I think all business and entrepreneurship really—it's it, all that the same at its core. Uh, but even like going to the salon and talking to the the owner of the salon. And kind of being like, oh, gosh, here, I'm about to tell him that I work in cannabis. And then him going, well, I thought about getting a license. I really like to garden, you know. And wow, you know, really seeing people's eyes light up and how much more normalized. It's it's, it's, it's one of those things yeah. that I think has been going on so much behind closed doors. There are so many more consumers out there that are doing it on the black market. Um, I'm based in Pennsylvania, so we do have medical here, but we don't have recreational yet. So it's still kind of in the dark, so to say. People aren't out there, um, you know, hawking it as something that they do recreationally for the most part in professional circles. But to see that start to come out and to see people start to really talk about uh, it as a bit as a prospective business um, and also just sharing that, yeah, they themselves are consumers. I think we're going to find that the amount of cannabis consumers in this country is a lot larger than we think. And as soon as it becomes more normal for people to talk about it, um, I think it's quite possible that the market is going to be a lot bigger than we even think it is. Okay, so uh, you are a regulatory attorney, and I would like to talk about the three things you should definitely not try to do yourself. Now, you did most of it yourself, um, and... Most people should not do that for mo- for most of it. That's one of, like one of the reasons you were talking about SOPs. Everything that's why we exist is because there's so many things that are just so far over people's um, ability to manage. No matter who you are, unless you have a skill set like yours, Max. But what do you say are the three things you should definitely not try to do yourself? Yeah, for sure. It's it, it's the big pieces of this process, which is the standard operating procedures. Um, you know finalizing a location in terms of real estate and then also dealing with your municipality. I think it takes, you know, there, there are professionals out there that do this and uh, they're very good at it. And to the extent, you know, you can find those professionals and, and get their help. I definitely encourage it uh, because these are just such complicated pieces. If you're unfamiliar with, you know, regulated industries, if you're unfamiliar with just compliance processes, it's going to be a lot to learn um, and you're competing against people who know a lot more. And so I would definitely say, when you get to each of those steps, there's probably some things you can figure out on your own, um, but definitely you'll want to lean on the expertise of others. So who would they lean on to work with their municipality? Municipalities, I mean, I think it really depends uh, because there's a couple of different stages for that process. Right now, for example, we're going to the planning board, and so we need a traffic expert. You know, I I tried submitting some documentation around traffic impact. They appreciated that (laughs) and said, we don't look like an expert, (laughs) Uh, which I can respect, right? And so something like that, for example. Um, But also, even if, let's say, you um, don't have a location in that municipality yet and you want to try and find something, you might um, try and approach someone who is very familiar with the town or very familiar with businesses in the town or real estate in the town. Um, for us, we had, uh, well, actually it wasn't, it wasn't ours. It was the landlord's broker who wound up being a really great resource for just knowing things about Hoboken because she had lived there mm-hmm. her entire life, decades. Um, and so it's like, you know, why would I ask anyone else? So you, this person? you had to get so a traffic like- expert, 
uh, I mean, is this because it was cannabis? Like I've opened brick and mortars before. I know in certain, I know when you get over there in some of those other uh, more, you know, tightly and condensed areas, the parking issue becomes a really big deal with space. Um, sometimes you do have to get involved on that level, but was it specifically because it was cannabis that you had to do that? I think it's because it's a conditional use in okay. Hoboken and conditional uses have these requirements on them. That said, you know, we are a micro, mm -hmm. the state is doing a lot to help micros. The expectation was that municipalities would do the same. And to some extent I can tell, right, Hoboken is trying, but it it, it's just gotten so political at this mm -hmm. point that they can't. I don't think they have the ability to say, you know, we know you're small. We know you're doing this yourself. We don't need the traffic expert. Um, but for example, like instead of submitting a full report, they're allowing us to just have him come and testify, yeah. which is a lighter lift. So, you know, it's something, but yes, we still okay. have to check those boxes. All right. Traffic expert. And then when it comes to, you said real estate, you did that yourself, but you were telling people not to do that themselves. Right. I'd say for real estate, you know, you can definitely look yourself. And, and in fact, that I would encourage. You can do that by looking on websites. Net, we learned that in our process. If you go to a town, you will see there are a lot more retail vacancies than what's listed online. So I definitely encourage people to go to towns and like look around, see if there's phone numbers and windows. But when it actually comes to finalizing the real estate and like dealing with a lease, even dealing with just a regular lease, I'd say you'd want a lawyer to even just like look at it and gut check it because this is mm. such a new industry and landlords will want to protect their asset, their property against things like, you know, the fact that it's federally legal and what right. laws could that bring to them and also dealing mm. with insurance. Those are the kind of things you want an awesome. expert to help with. Sure. And we just so happen to have referrals within our system for all of those experts that you may need, as well as SOPs, which you said they should not do themselves. Um, so that's something yes. that CHT can help. That is a shameless plug. I am not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting uh, here to wrap up. Um, Max, is there anything else that you want to share with people um, listening to this? Like something that uh, a, a tip or an advice for success in getting through this process in one piece? I would say, you know, the, the things are moving quick and slow at the same time. And so there's still plenty of opportunity to get into this industry as things are starting to, you know, really get started. Um, but I wouldn't waste time. You know, the towns that have opted in are probably running out of space. The towns that are thinking about opting in are probably going to do so pretty soon. And they might have already you know, someone lined up. Um, so I definitely say, you know, if, if you're considering it, uh, don't waste your time. It's yeah, hurry up and wait, right? Hurrying up and waiting at the same time. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us and for sharing your knowledge and experience. Um, I hope to have you back on. We can't wait to check back in and see how Blue Violet's dispensary is doing. Um, you're going to be in Hoboken. Company is Blue Violets. It's a micro cannabis dispensary. You can find them on Instagram at Blue Violets Dispensary or their websites. Their website is blueviolets.co. And thank you so much, Max. Thanks, Melody. Well, that's it for this episode of Canna Sync. You can subscribe to our podcast for more inspiring stories and guidance on getting through the application process in one piece. We'll be featuring only the most relevant news, expert advice, and tips for applicants. So don't forget to subscribe. 
Also, follow us on our social channels by searching Cognitive Harmony Technologies on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We post lots of tips, news, and sponsorship opportunities you don't want to miss out on. Thanks for listening.
Take care.